0: we're talking about sulking, stealing, scoundrels, stoning and sackcloth from 1 Kings 21. We're talking about Elijah, a man just like us. My own uh, brief review, so Elijah, Eli-Yah, his name, he was strong in his sense of identity, his very name means the Lord is my God. So every time someone said hello Elijah, he heard someone say hello the Lord is my God. He was not confused about his identity. Secondly, he experienced the kindness of God. In chapter 17, the ravens came and fed him. He was sheltered and the power of God worked through him in chapter 17 to provide salvation, food for the widow, her son and himself, and salvation, life for the widow's son who died. And then after the powerful prayers of Elijah, he came back to life. And remember James chapter 5, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed, it didn't rain. He prayed and it rained. God was working his power through his life and his prayers were passionate persistent and honest and as a result of that the end of chapter 17 the woman the widow says now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth so God vindicated his prophet by the way that Elijah allowed himself to be used by God and trusted God in a tough spot. Then in chapters 18 and 19, we see that uh, one of the things we see is that God works behind the scenes. Elijah thought he was alone, but there were many, many other prophets hidden by Obadiah in the caves There were hidden prophets. Secondly, we saw that God vindicated him as a prophet and showed him to be the God, to be the only God with true power in the bringing down of fire from heaven as a result of Elijah's prayer. Again, what about prayer. We also learned that even the greatest of God followers can become dangerously tired and then give in to things they would never give into to uh, if they were not so dangerously tired. And then when Elijah was at his lowest, running away from Jezebel, what do we find? We find that God is kind when we are low. God is kind when you are low. He's not mad at you. He's going to be kind he gives uh, Elijah food he gives him rest a prophetical sabbatical he gives him touch the reassurance as the angel touches him he gives him direction go to the mountain he gives an acknowledgement that this is too much for you Elijah he says he, he empathizes with Elijah there uh, he has the personal connection of the conversation that they then have once the fire and the earthquake and the and the great wind have gone and the, and the still small quiet whispering voices there they have a conversation and then he calls him to the further work that he has for him so that's chapter 17 18 and 19 chapter 20 which we're skipping for the sake of this series we're skipping because uh, Elijah isn't mentioned in that chapter it's focused on Ahab and I'll just summarize to say that the wicked king Ahab has battles with another king king Ben-Hadad of Syria and the defeat of Ben-Hadad of Syria is accomplished by Ahab because he's inspired by prophetic direction so uh, another prophet of God gives Ahab direction he wins the victory But then at the end of the chapter ahab does not follow through on further instructions given by the prophet despite knowing that his victory comes because of god he doesn't follow through so he's half-hearted in his obedience he's obeying when it suits him and not obeying when he doesn't so this is the background of ahab that we get running up to the beginning of chapter 21. and one other reminder before we we get into the the text this month of may is uh, and these sermons are part of our series and our focus on emotional and mental well-being and we've had our wednesday night teaching classes and interview classes uh, but also these these uh, lessons looking at elijah's life are helping us to understand better i hope how to think of god and ourselves when we're going through times of highs and times of lows times of great testing times of great stressing and that's what's going on and in this chapter in chapter 21 we learn some more things about this particularly focused on the issue of greed and we're going to talk about greed today not a popular topic but we need to talk about greed because that's what we see here and we see that greed when we're struggling with greed we see that it's a sign that we're not in a good place certainly greed is a sin and we'll talk about that but what is it a sign of it's also a sign we're not in a good place maybe that's a mental health issue maybe it's an emotional well-being issue maybe it's it's certainly a spiritual issue courage on the other hand is the other theme of this chapter i believe and courage is a sign that we're in a healthy place with god and with ourselves with our spirit you could say and i'm hoping today that we can take the warning about greed from this chapter develop greater spiritual self-awareness and see the way that the power of the spirit can move to heal us and help us to live lives of courageous faith like we see from Elijah and Naboth in this chapter. So let's talk about greed for a little bit shall we? The danger of greed. The danger of greed as we go back to our text here uh, there's a few things to point out. Let me point out a few things and see what you think. So part the danger of greed we see here that Naboth has a vineyard and Ahab wants it. In fact, he doesn't really want the vineyard, he wants the land so he can have a vegetable plot there. So one of the things we get we, that we need to be aware of in terms of the danger of greed is to be careful what we look at. What we look at often ends up being something we become greedy about or jealous or envious and we want to be acquisitive. We want to get that thing for ourselves. And this seems to be what happens with Ahab. Ahab is uh, in his palace and close to the palace presumably within eyeshot there's the vineyard and there it is and it's beautiful and it's wonderful and he says it's close to my palace I'll give you some other vineyard further away I'll pay you but I, I want that he can see it he can it's like he can smell it and taste it I don't know about you but I have to be careful about what food I leave lying around looking at food if I see food it makes me make or it tempts me towards making poor choices. The same thing happens on television. You know, when I see food on television, if it's a cooking program, I might have eaten dinner and I'm watching a cooking program. and I, I'm hungry, but I'm not hungry. How can I be hungry? But it's just seeing the food, the color, the steaming steam coming off the food. I mean, the, the, the juiciness of it. I start feeling hungry it's a very strange thing if we have spare food lying around in our house unless it's fruit in a bowl but you know like cake especially cake all right nothing wrong with cake i love cake not saying cake's sinful we all love sarah's cakes thank you sarah looking forward when we meet back together the truth is the reason we all want to meet back together physically is not to worship but to, for cake sarah to bring a cake which we can all share and the church said amen so anyway if there's cake left over it's no good leaving it around or i'm in trouble in our house cake has to go in a tin it has to at the moment there are some muffins in a clear plastic container in the kitchen i actually need to make sure that they get put in a tin because if they're in a tin i can't see them if they're in a cupboard i can't see them what we look at makes a big difference to our struggles with grief this last week uh, on thursday i met Uh, Some of you know, I have a staff meeting every week with Tim and Siobhan Dannett for the Thames Valley Church. And we meet on Thursday afternoons and uh, we've been meeting online for forever. Right. But this last week, this Thursday, we were actually able to meet together. So I drove to meet them somewhere and uh, we had a great time together. And uh, they gave me my Christmas present and my birthday present because we haven't seen each other. And I gave them their Christmas present of all things because I hadn't seen them and uh, but part of the birthday present was uh, a bottle of wine and a pack of gluten-free biscuits really nice ginger and chocolate biscuits and uh, they're very very nice and uh, so I drove home and it was quite a long drive home and the traffic was bad and the problem was that the biscuits were on the passenger seat next to me and they were looking at me and uh, and it was you know they were really nice looking biscuits and they were my birthday present, you know, and um, I thought, well, I'm sure they'd like me to enjoy them. Um, and it's been a long time waiting since February to get these biscuits, so uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, and it's my—it's kind of a birthday thing. So although it's not my birthday, it's a birthday treat, therefore, I guess it'd be all right to have one. I mean, I'm not actually hungry. I had actually just had lunch, I wasn't really hungry, but you know, there they are. And uh, Penny's making the point in the chat that I didn't tell her about the biscuits and she's quite right. So here's my confession to, to us all. Uh, and I'm sorry, Akin, I'm making you hungry, and I'll get off the topic of food in a moment. But those biscuits were there looking at me and they were speaking to me. Do you know, you can sometimes hear food talk to you. And, and they spoke to me and they said, eat one, just one. I, and I thought, yeah, one. I mean, it's to celebrate my relationship with Tim and Chevy and how kind they are to give me the biscuits. So I'm not really eating them for their own sake but so you know honor tim and chevy anyway you know the kind of rational rationalizing we all do so i opened the packet and i ate a biscuit and and that was really nice so i had another biscuit anyway let's just say the biscuits didn't make it home, none of them and penny no penny didn't get one uh danny and and uh yeah how many it there was a pack um you know quite a few and um I just, uh, I celebrated, that's all I'm gonna say. I celebrated my friendship with Tim and Chevy with those biscuits. Um, here's, here's the thing with, with, okay, I'm gonna struggle to get back now to the text. Here's the thing with Ahab, is Ahab saw something he wanted and let his mind dwell on it. And he dwelt on it and he dwelt on it. And then he said, Naboth, come here, let's have a chat. I want that, I want it now. I want it i want it now and i'll pay i'll do anything and this is one of the dangers for us when we have things around us that we know tempt us and we know cause us to give in to greed and we need to be aware of the substances that feed our addictions it's my conviction that pretty much all of us have an addictive tendency in some area or another what is your addictive tendency maybe it's biscuits maybe it's alcohol maybe it's food maybe it's devices these things etc right Uh, maybe it's something else what are your addictive tendencies and what's your strategy to keep them out of sight that's at least part of how we defeat the temptation towards greed but the second thing i think we see here about greed is we've got to be careful when we have power we need to be very careful when we've got power it's very interesting that Jezebel she cooks up this scheme of getting the scoundrels to denounce Naboth and uh she's very smart about the way she does it because it seems spiritual the beginning of it right because she says proclaim a fast (laughs) not a feast but a fast sounds very spiritual It's far from it of course usually you proclaim a fast when a national disaster is threatened or expected on this occasion the disaster is for the is for is for Naboth in the immediate future but it's also for Ahab and his family and Jezebel in the not so distant future Jezebel doesn't fool God even if she fools some of the people she's turning away from God not to him this is a warning that simply being a spiritual person or simply being a religious person who believes in God does not protect us from abusing our power and there's lots of different ways we have power we have economic power we have relational power we have sometimes positional and authoritative power in some ways and we need to be careful about it uh, monetary power is a problem you may say i don't have much monetary power we have more than we think the way we spend our money i mean now and again when i'm unhappy all right when i'm getting a bit uh, uh by something i'm really getting fed up one of my temptations is to open my browser and and click on amazon and just have a look what's there on amazon what's on sale i don't need anything it's just feeding a feeling i have of, of dissatisfaction and unhappiness Not saying having a look on Amazon is exactly a sin, but I know in myself that when I'm only opening the browser and only going to Amazon because I'm feeling rubbish, that's a bad sign. I have power to do that because I have enough money to shop on Amazon. We've got to be careful with our economic power. We need to be careful with our power over people. In this passage, we have what's often referred to as king culture, and that's not king culture in a good way king culture in a bad way we see ahab and jezebel exercising king culture in a very bad way there are par- parallels here some of you may have it may have twigged this i think there are a lot of parallels here between what happened with david and bathsheba and her husband it's a little bit different in detail but i think the same thing's going on david exercised king culture he's up there he sees bathsheba bathing he sees her you see the same thing he sees and then he says i want gets her to come over they sleep together she gets pregnant then he tries to get her husband killed and gets him killed and uh, it's it's a mess and of course Nathan the prophet comes to confront King David with his sin and as indeed Elijah does here with Ahab Uh, but we got the same kind of thing going on here the king is able to do this in a way that other people wouldn't because he has and Jezebel have that kind of power They employ a power dynamic dynamic to get what they want with disastrous family and national consequences lasting many generations, both for David in his situation and Ahab and Jezebel in this situation. It's really important for any of us with any power over people, whether it's at work, in a a charity, in in a club, in in a a hobby situation with other people. Even in church, in church, we've got to be careful that whether we're leading a family group or or, or a congregation like myself in some ways or our leadership team, that we don't become overbearing. Um, Ahab and Jezebel's situation was an example of bullying and overbearing leadership. And the local leaders failed to stand up to her, didn't they? The the local officials, they went along with the plan. They didn't stand up to her because of groupthink, because of uh, her intimidation of them and they the local leadership facilitated a greater error by their passivity so this kind of king culture is a corruption of leadership and it, what what happens when power is utilized for the benefit of the one with power instead of it being used for the vulnerable the benefit of the vulnerable and the weak which is the way that Jesus would have us use any power we have whatever kind of power it is he said use it to serve others to be served to serve others not to be served as he came to serve others and not to be served you need to be careful about our use of power over our spouse, our children, people in shops, people on the end of the telephone when they're being annoying. You need to be aware of these things. So we've got to be careful about what we see and look at. We've got to be careful about the areas in which we have power. And we need to be aware of how we evaluate what we need. Let's face it, does Ahab need another vegetable plot? He's the king. In other chapters you'll see he has Ten thousand soldiers he has thousands of charioteers he has hundreds of officers he is not short of resources why did he want it he wanted it because it was his rationale it's close to my palace he wanted it simply because of convenience he did not need a closer vegetable garden he could have walked to the to the if he had one further away he could have walked to it he got more steps in and his fitbit would have been uh would have been uh, better populated uh I think it's a good example of how greed spirals out of control all over a vegetable plot. I mean, some of us do love vegetables and growing our vegetables. And I appreciate that Penny and Joe Cronier, amongst others, uh, would like to grow lots of nice vegetables. But, but this is ridiculous. Can you imagine Joe Cronier killing someone for the sake of an allotment plot? I know strange things sometimes go on in allotments, Joe, as you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, this is madness. Penny and Joe would never kill to get a vegetable plot. But this is what happens when greed takes over. It distorts our sense of reality and perspective. And it's what happens, frankly, when God is not enough for us. Greed is what happens when God is no longer enough. As it says in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs." Some kings and queens here, eager for extra vegetable plots, wandered from the faith. Do you recognize, what what are the warning signs for you, that you're struggling with greed? When do you know that it's not about growth and development, but it's really about greed? Do you know your own personal signs? I think often, for me, a good sign is one of impatience. When I get impatient about acquiring something, that's often a good sign that I'm struggling with greed. As in, you're thinking about buying something, you're not sure whether you really ought to buy it. Could you put it off for a month without it compromising something significant in your life? Let's say it's not going to compromise anything important. Could you put the purchase off for a month and be content? That might be a good sign. Because if you can put the purchase off it's probably you're probably not struggling with greed, but if you'd really struggle to postpone that purchase for a month. Maybe it's more about greed now I'm not going to lay down laws here, because this is a a subtle area and all of us are in different situations, but it's important for us to consider how to recognize greed in ourselves. Especially when we're tempted to buy things and acquire things that aren't in our budget and going to put us in unhealthy debt. And I, another sign, as in this passage, could be that we sulk when we don't get it. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat the Hebrew there. Uh, as it's, it, you can translate it as he turned his face to the wall. It's not a good sign when we sulk, is it? Don't you, if you're a parent, don't you hate seeing sulking in your children? What about sulking in ourselves? Not a healthy thing um i uh now and again i i now and again i, I find myself sulking where I, and I, I never never a good thing and uh some of that sulking comes when i compare myself unhealthily with other people um i have a youtube channel as you know uh i have uh currently 800 and, well this morning i had 871 subscribers i checked uh, this morning and, um, you know, I don't know if that's a lot or not, um, but it's not healthy for me to compare that with other people. So, but I did this morning, just as an exercise. And I found that Joel Olstein, who's a very famous Christian speaker um, of, of some kind. Uh, I looked up his YouTube channel. He has 1.99 million uh, subscribers. Uh, Joyce Meyer, someone as many of us will know, she's got 602,000 subscribers was so jacoby who spoke for us recently he's got two point he's got 2650 uh, subscribers so i wasn't feeling good about all that because they've all got more than me uh but then i found i looked up simon dinning my good friend from belfast he's only got 209 so at least i'm doing better than him and you know this comparison thing what it make it doesn't help us at all and we end up getting our motives all all over the place who cares whether we've got as much nice stuff as other people? It's what we need. It's whether we're content with God that really matters. It says in uh, Luke chapter 12, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Greed destroys faith. It takes a, a focus off God. And Ephesians 5 verse 3, Paul writes, Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. We stop looking like the people of God when we give in to greed, it destroys our witness. Right. So what causes you to sulk? Are you aware of your uh, your greed temptations and signs? Can you deal with the impatience of not getting what you want when you want it? We need to be aware of the dangers of greed and our tendency to measure ourselves against other people uh, and to not always be aware of when greed is beginning to affect us. So that's what's going on in this chapter is we've got greed in Ahab, we've got greed and other things going on with Jezebel. We've got Naboth and Elijah standing against this greed. And so at the second part of this, is is conviction, is courage. Naboth and Elijah have the courage of their convictions. Now Naboth says, when Ahab tries to get the vineyard from him, the Lord forbid, in verse 3, that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. The Lord forbid. He's calling on the name of Yahweh here. He's saying, I am not going to do this because it's against what God would want me to do. And that's referring to a passage in Leviticus 25, which talks about land not being sold permanently because the land is mine, says God. So you're not allowed to do that. You've got to keep hold of your land. And if indeed you become so poor that you have to sell it, then you you have to be given it back again seven years later. So the land has to stay with the people it's given to. He says, look, I can't do this, not because I would... I've got, I mean, maybe he's got plenty of vineyards and maybe he could afford to sell one, but he says, the Lord forbid, it's not right that I should do this, the inheritance of my ancestors. It gets him killed. It gets him killed. And in fact, it gets his sons killed. We learn in 2 Kings 9, that that actually also happened. And it would have been necessary for Ahab to be able to inherit and to to have the land because otherwise his sons would have inherited it. So all the males are killed by Ahab and Jezebel. They're stoned to death. Sometimes our courage wounds us. Standing up for things that are right can wound us, hurt us, and even break things, break relationships. It's sad, but it's true. Think about the book of Acts, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the first century. In the book of Acts and the persecution that came, some of them were persecuted and lived. Some were persecuted and died. The difference might be between Stephen and Paul. Stephen is stoned in Acts 7 like Naboth is stoned here. Stephen is stoned and he dies. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was there and saw it later on, he has his own experience of stoning in Acts 14 in Lystra. And he is stoned and the people that stone him think he's dead. They leave him for dead, but actually he's not quite dead. As good as dead, but not dead. Some lived, some died. Naboth is an example of what happens when we stand up for God, where we don't live by the values of the world. God does not prevent bad things happening to his good people. We need to remember that our reward is only fully experienced, uh, fully expressed and experienced in the next life. You and I might not get the approval from our peers, a promotion at work or the adulation of our family if we need to stand up for what we believe is right by God. Let's face it if if christian people only had good things ever happen to them people would become christians for the wrong reasons we do what's right not because of earthly reward but because we love god and we trust him much like moses hebrews 11 24 and 26 it talks about moses that by faith moses when he had grown up refused to be known as the son of pharaoh's daughter he chose to be mistreated along with the people of god rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin he regarded disgrace for the sake of christ as a greater value than the treasures of egypt because and this is the key because he was looking ahead to his reward he was looking ahead we suffer disgrace and even harm because we're looking forward to a greater reward that's what Naboth had at least in his heart I believe and then we see Elijah as an example of courage and he goes to uh, Ahab and uh, he meets him in Naboth's vineyard actually at the scene of the crime you could say and he goes there and he stands up to him and he says have you not murdered a man I mean he is he is direct here and bear in mind that Elijah is coming from failure he ran away from Jezebel remember in chapter 19 he's coming from failure and then the restoration and refreshment that God gave him but this is his first opportunity to confront somebody since Jezebel so how is he going to do you know he might be worried and fearful about will I will I cave in again like I did before but we find in Elijah like we did with Abraham when we were studying Abraham's life that Elijah has bounce back ability He's able to be different because God's refreshment has worked something deep within him. You know what you and I need when we're struggling with our sin, when we're struggling with our failures, when we're struggling with our guilt or our depression or our fears and our anxiety, what we need is refreshment from God we need that time alone with God we need silence with God we need songs we need worship we need prayer we need bible reading we need one another pray together we need whatever we need we need those times of refreshment from God so that our failures don't form our future they inform our future but they don't shape it such that we are stuck and trapped by our past he holds Ahab accountable have you not done this He's not going to allow Ahab to wriggle out of it by saying, well, it was Jezebel, a bit like Adam with Eve, right? Oh, it was the woman you gave me. No, Uh, Ahab in law might have plausible deniability, but God is not fooled. He's not falling for that. There's no room for you and I to blame our circumstances for our sins, our lack of courage. We need need God to refresh us to have that, that courage. He says, oh, you found me, my enemy. You found me, verse 20, my enemy. Isn't that sad that he sees Elijah as his enemy? He's found him right there in the vineyard that he stole, confronting him in the place of what for Ahab is his greatest guilt. This is very courageous of Elijah to do this. It's not so much Elijah that finds him, but God who finds him. Our sin is always obvious to God. Our sin will be found out. The biscuit crumbs may not be on the passenger seat of my car, but the metaphorical biscuit crumbs are visible to God. And he's not his enemy. Yes, you know, he calls him in 1 Kings 17, the troubler, or in chapter 18, the hex of Israel. He's not. He's his friend. Elijah is Ahab's friend, if only he would listen to him from the heart. It's important that we welcome truth. That we welcome truth from God's Word. That we welcome truth from one another. As painful as it may be, wounds from a friend can be trusted, it says in Proverbs. Well to wrap up, to wrap up, we've learned a lot about greed. I think we learn a lot about courage and about how even fearful people can be transformed by being refreshed by God. But we also learn just at the end here that God is merciful to the most undeserving people imaginable. Several times in Kings, Ahab is portrayed as and, and mentioned as being one of the most wicked, perhaps the most wicked king who ever led Israel. And still, God is merciful because, yeah, you could say, well, he's very condemning because of the the consequences that God says He'll bring upon Ahab and his family—that comes through Elijah. That's true. It's going to be awful. You're going to be killed. You know, there's going to be dogs and blood, and it's all going to be awful. Yeah. Okay. That—that's—that's that's true. But, but, uh, he says, "This is what I, is going to happen. I am going to do this. I am going to do that." In other words, it's not happened right now. It's coming in the future why does God delay judgment because he's hoping Ahab will repent even perhaps Jezebel might repent God's mercy is always with us even in our darkest sins there's no immediate judgment here he's warned and he gives Ahab time to repent and and indeed Ahab does at least temporarily repent and he puts on sackcloth and he goes around meekly which is a lovely word. He goes around meekly and then God says to Elijah you've noticed this right? Well okay I won't bring the disaster in his lifetime I'll bring it in the days of his son. I mean there need to be consequences to this but God recognizes the change of heart. So we celebrate that. No matter what else is going on, we can celebrate the fact that God honours a change of heart. So what do we see? Let's just think about Jesus and the connection to what we're looking at here. Let's compare and contrast. Jesus was never one who could be accused of being greedy. He was never looking to acquire something that belonged to somebody else. Indeed the opposite of greed you could say is generosity. And Jesus must have been the most generous person who ever lived. He gave away his time, gave away his energy, he gave away everything he had including his own life. What an inspiration to you and I when we're fearful for our future and we're worried about the future and we're tempted to grasp things to ourselves, that we can trust Jesus who gave everything for you and me, the ultimately most generous person. And secondly in Jesus, Like Naboth, we see a man willing to stand up for the will of God at cost of his life. And we see, like Elijah, the courage, like Elijah to confront what was wrong in his world, whether they were, uh, if you like, small people or big people, whether they were people like him or different to him. He did not shrink back from any challenge to his faith, any challenge to what he believed to be right, He spoke the truth in love to all who were around him, his disciples, his enemies, anybody who came his way. What an inspiration to you and me. He overflowed with courage in service of God's honor and in love for us. I'll finish by reading Titus chapter three and then I'm gonna ask um, Richard to pray for us before we take bread and wine. The kindness of God again, Titus three verse 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I hope these thoughts are helpful. Richard, please feel free to unmute yourself and pray for us all.